As we uh, turn in our time of worship to the reading and the preaching of God's Word, we are going to be in James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. Let me encourage you to go ahead and flip there in a Bible. Uh, as you're flipping there, let me encourage you to go ahead and put your finger in another passage of Scripture that we're going to turn to, Romans chapter 1. Uh, just put your finger there. If you're using one of these black Bibles that are in the chairs in the... Uh, one of the black Bibles in the chairs in front of you. That's what I'm trying to say. It is on page 938. Romans 1 is on 938. I think James is on page 1012, 1012. So, <clears throat> all right. So here we, we're, 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 we're back in our study. We are going to read, pray, and then uh, just consider it. So follow along as I read. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Let's pray. Father, teach us. You've promised that you would send your spirit to be in and among your people, that we might be led into truth. How desperately we need this truth. How desperately we need your wisdom. So would you teach us now and give us the ability to see with your eyes and understand with your mind and consider things from a higher perspective than our own. I pray these things, Jesus, in your name. Amen. One of the most foolish things I've ever done in my life. You'll you'll appreciate this maybe. I don't know. Not really. One of the most foolish things I've ever done in my life is seek to apply my pitiful, impotent, small, finite perspective or wisdom to the difficulties of this life. I was a Christian. My world, as I saw it, as I understood it, was falling apart. Instead of counting it joy as I faced trials of various kinds, as James has called us to do, Instead of asking uh, God to give me wisdom that I might be able to see that he's doing more than just simply this thing that's in front of me through this difficult time. Instead of listening to the scripture and instead of seeking the Lord at all, I ran from him and I listened and I applied the world's wisdom. It was only after getting in some pretty serious trouble on two different occasions that I woke up. And realized, what you're doing is not working. It only seemed, my life only seemed to be getting worse. It seemed to be spiraling out of control. I was at what I thought might have been. I'm scared to think if it wasn't what might have been rock bottom. I don't know that it could have gotten worse. What I'm doing isn't working. Maybe you've been there. 
Maybe you're there right now. You feel like what you're doing isn't working. Well, if you're applying your limited, small, finite, impotent, simple little wisdom to a life circumstance, then I can just about guarantee you, based on the words of James, it isn't. And it won't. Our wisdom, the wisdom that we naturally have, the wisdom that naturally exists in the world will not, it will not result in what we want it to result in. It's not going to fix our circumstances. It's not going to make our life better. It's not going to bring us to the place that we long to be. James in this passage lets us know why. Because it's not able to. And before we dig in, I, I just want to help you see why I think this is so important for us to learn. Why we took these three, or I'm sorry, these five verses just off by themselves. Let's do it like this. Just, just flip back over. If you've got your Bibles open, flip back over to the chapter one. I've already referenced these verses. It kind of as I was talking about my own testimony. In verses two through five of chapter one, just... Just look at them with me. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. That's uh, okay. I want complete, perfect, lacking in nothing. We all want complete, perfect, lacking in nothing. We don't necessarily like the road to get there. And and by all accounts of, of worldly wisdom, it shouldn't take that. But James is saying, count it all joy, my brothers, as you face these trials of various kinds. Because you know. Because you know. Because you have come to believe as Jesus, Jesus, as your Lord and Christ. You know that God is not out to get you. That everything he has for you is strengthening you and preparing you and sanctifying you. That there is no wrath anymore for you, but only grace. But the reality is, to understand that, to really apply that, you can't just have the knowledge of it floating around in your head. You must have wisdom to apply it in your life. And I think that's why the very next verse, verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously. You see, the reality is that the faith you've placed in Jesus needs wisdom from Jesus to apply to the circumstances you live in so that as So that what you have come to know and believe about Jesus can be applied to every aspect of your life. See, whether you're in a season of endurance and you're having to fight to remember that he is only good. That all he has for you as his child is good. That every circumstance of your life he will work to your Good. As you are fighting to believe that in the midst of the difficult seasons that we endure, you need wisdom from God so that you might act in accordance with that truth. In the seasons that you enjoy, you know, so in some seasons we endure, some seasons we enjoy. I think the seasons that we enjoy need wisdom as much or maybe even more than the seasons that we endure. In the seasons that we endure, we're faced with our, in, our, our lack of power. We're faced with our neediness. We're faced, confronted front and center with our uh, dependence upon God's power. But in the seasons of, 
of pleasure that we enjoy, it's easy to begin believing and thinking that this isn't just his grace. This is, this is what I deserve. You see, we need to fight to believe that everything is his grace, even those seasons that we enjoy. It, it's not what we deserve. We need to continue to fight to believe that we are needy, dependent upon him. We need to continue to fight to believe that having him is still better than the stuff that we get, that he created. We, we need to continue to fight to believe that we are not in some way finally at some position that we've earned something from him. You see, in these seasons that we enjoy, we need the same wisdom that we needed when we endured. Because we've got to take what we know about him and believe about him and apply it to those circumstances of life. We need his wisdom as much in the good times as the difficult. This is why it's so important for us to get this passage in James chapter 3. See, the thing is, is that there is no list of instructions that, that lay out for every last circumstance of life. There's no list of instructions that we can turn to that says when A happens, do B. When, when C happens, do B. There's, there's no set of equations that specify every last circumstance of life. We need wisdom so that as we use what we know, we can apply it to our life. Wisdom is the right use of knowledge. James doesn't define it here. He seems to understand that that the people he's writing to already have an understanding of it because they had been hearing about it for so long through the Old Testament. Wisdom is, is is, is a topic of the Old Testament over and over. We studied it for weeks and weeks in the book of Ecclesiastes. Wisdom is the right use of knowledge that must accompany our faith. It's interesting. I just brought up Ecclesiastes. It's interesting because in Ecclesiastes, we learned that wisdom is limited and needs faith. And here we're learning from James that your faith in Jesus Christ needs to be supplemented with wisdom from Jesus Christ. We've got to be able to use what we know and believe about him. Christian, this is his point, I think. Christian, the only wisdom worth applying in this life comes down from heaven and produces a harvest worth reaping. The only wisdom worth applying in this life comes down from heaven and produces a harvest worth reaping. Reaping. I believe this is James' point. I think this is what he's getting at in these five verses. He's writing to people he considers to be Christian. And so he's telling you, if you're a Christian, he's telling you, don't run off into the worldly wisdom. Watch out for it. Use godly, heavenly wisdom. And if you're here today and you're not Christian, I... I, I have to do this. I have to say this to you. If, if you're not a Christian, if you've never trusted in the Lord as Christ... It is still true for you that there's only one wisdom that will will bring the harvest that every one of us tend to desire. There's only one. And it's from heaven. If you're not a Christian, though, you have a problem. This wisdom is not available to you. So hear me. Trust in him. And then seek to see that faith 
supplemented, that, that faith in him supplemented with wisdom from him. The reality is his wisdom is one of the blessings, one of the fruits, one of the, one of the graces that we as believers get to enjoy. And then as James kind of sets it out, it's, it's one of the fruits, one of the blessings, one of the, one of the, one of the realities of being a Christian that, that he expects us to actually apply. Now, now for Christians, I just, just a note, this really got nothing to do. This is just a piece of sage wisdom, maybe. <laughs> it's going to do us well. It will do us well to remember that as we deal with people in the world, they do not use the same wisdom that we have available to us. They cannot apply heavenly wisdom to their circumstance. And so seeking to reason with people who have not trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, seeking to reason with them with his wisdom, is not always going to be super helpful. They don't need your advice. The, the, the lost person, the, the non-Christian, doesn't need your advice as much as they need your gospel. You hear this. I'm not suggesting that you not give advice. I'm not suggesting that we not interact and speak with people in the world and talk to them about wisdom of God and speak to them from a perspective of God's wisdom. But you must, you must weave into it the gospel. Without the gospel, you're just asking them to do what you do. And see things your way. With the gospel, the power of God unto salvation, as Kurt read just a minute ago, we actually give them the opportunity to hear and believe. Faith comes through hearing. Hearing through the word of God. How is it going to be heard if we don't preach it, if we don't proclaim it? It must be proclaimed. As you advise a lost person, a non-Christian person, when you... Bring godly wisdom to them. Ensure that you're weaving gospel into your conversation. That they might hear it and believe it. Because until they've believed the gospel, there is nothing that this wisdom has to offer them. They will not understand it. They won't see it from your perspective. And they will not walk in light of it. Now back to the point, the only wisdom worth applying in this life comes down from heaven and produces a harvest worth reaping. In verses 13 and 14, James calls us to this place. He, 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 he doesn't exactly change topics fully, but he certainly inserts this new idea here. Who is wise and understanding among you by his good conduct? Let him show his works in the meekness of salvation. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. He calls Christians who are wise to make known not simply by their proclamation, but also by their actions. Now, this should sound really familiar to you. What else does he expect us to do with our actions? Prove our faith. Show our faith to be genuine. It seems that James has a high value on our words and our deeds, our words and our works aligning. I think this is, this is why the whole idea of this book is faith in action. The whole idea of this book is about being a people who aren't hypocritic or hypocritical. That, that, that we're not leaving room or he's not leaving room for any kind of cultural Christianity. I can say I'm a Christian. I can go to church on Sunday and then live my life however I want to. He leaves no room for that. 
And he calls them on it. Don't go around boasting about your wisdom if it's not producing the fruit of that wisdom. If it is not evident in your life and works, don't go boasting about this wisdom. And then he doesn't leave us wanting to understand how that wisdom is shown. In verses 15 through 18, he actually shows us. He actually teaches us about its wisdom's nature, its characteristics, and its fruit. And he does this by telling us both what it is and what it isn't. He shows us what wisdom looks like, and he shows us what wisdom doesn't look like. He shows us what wisdom comes from, what wisdom results in, and what wisdom doesn't result in. So in the same way that James showed us two kinds of faith, saving faith and dead faith, he shows us two kinds of wisdom. And we're going to call them, for the sake of our time together, we're going to call them heavenly wisdom. He talks about them uh, being from above and um, from uh, this is not the wisdom that comes from above is earthly. So he calls it earthly, unspiritual, demonic. We're going to call it heavenly wisdom and worldly wisdom. These two things he shows us and contrasts us for us so that we can see and know the difference between these wisdoms and the wisdom that we should be applying. And the first thing we're going to look at is the nature of wisdom. We see it first in verse 17. Now, it's not the first place we see it, but I think we see it most clearly in verse 17. We see heavenly wisdom is pure. This wisdom comes from God. It comes from above because it comes from him. It's like him. It's the same as, it's undefiled in any way. Thomas Manton, uh, a great old Puritan pastor and writer, helped me kind of see the distinction here. He helped me kind of see that there's two types of purity or two ways to consider purity that we need to be thinking about. First, there's the purity of mixture. So in a sense, like a dog, it might be purebred or it might be a mutt. Purebred is pure. There's no mixing of genes. It's, it's one breed. He, he's saying that, that wisdom from heaven, this heavenly wisdom, is like this. There's no mixing in. There's no running off to Buddhism or Hinduism or animism or any other ism. There's only God's wisdom. It's pure. It's not mixed up in any way. And then there's the purity from contaminant. In the sense that it isn't contaminated, right? That, so, so water is pure, when it doesn't have harmful contaminants in it. Like it doesn't have lead. You pour it out of the, pour it out of the faucet, you know, turn on your faucet and it's rusty color, you're probably not going to drink it because it's not pure. It's not contaminated. Or it is contaminated. If you, if you turn on your water and it's clear and there's not a bunch of little floaties in it, you're likely to go ahead and drink it because you think it's pure. So we have the purity of mixture, the purity of contaminant, that God's wisdom, heavenly wisdom, has none of this. It is like the one from whom it comes. There is no darkness, no shifting shadow. It is pure. This is wisdom's primary trait. In fact, he says, first, it is pure. It's its very nature. Worldly wisdom, on the other hand, is corrupt. To carry on the illustration of the dog, it's a mutt. It's all mixed up. It's contaminated with all sorts of toxins. So how do you decide to live your life? Well, I I saw in the front of Cosmo that if I want a man, 
I take this test and figure out what kind of man I should get. And, and then the inquirer told me all about what's going on in these people's lives. So I just don't want to do that. Well, and it feels really good. I, like really, I really like what the Buddhists say about whatever. I don't really know what the Buddhists say. I don't have time to think about what the Buddhists say. You know people like this? Running around, grasping at everything, just mixing all their stuff. It's all mixed up. It's all contaminated with all sorts of toxins because none of these things will lead us to life. And they won't lead us to the life that we long for. Worldly wisdom is corrupt. It's worldly, just like the sources from which it comes. It's, it, it, it is what gives it, what sources it. James, James gives us three descriptors here in verse 15 to describe its corruption. It's earthly. It is of the world. It's unspiritual. It is of the flesh. There's no spirit to it. There's no life in it. There's, there's nothing beyond what we can see, what we can touch. It comes from the world and it is demonic. It's of the devil. Now I think probably because I use the book of Ephesians so much in my discipleship and in personal counseling and marital counseling. And so, so often I, I think that this three, these three things brought to mind words from Paul in Ephesians 2, chapters one through, or chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. I don't put them on the screen for you. I'm just going to read them to you. Just listen. It says this, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of the world, earthly, following the prince of the power of the air, demonic, the spirit among that, uh, the spirit that is now at work among the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, unspiritual. The, the reality is the world, the flesh, and the devil, they're the same sources that enslaved us and kept us in death are the same things that give us this source or this perspective of wisdom as if we think we know what we're talking about, as if we think we know what's best for us. But it's corrupt. Maybe, maybe another picture of this that might draw it out for you that you might be able to see it more clearly is in our study of Ecclesiastes. Maybe you'll remember how Solomon ran after all kinds of things, seeking happiness and seeking life. And in, in chapter 1 into chapter 2, he talks about how he chased wisdom, pleasure, wealth, and work. He chased after, he, he, he did all of these things trying to grow in his wisdom. He did all of these things seeking pleasure. He did all of these things giving himself to his work. And he did all of these things giving himself to, to the pursuit of more stuff. And what he found at the end of every one of those pursuits was emptiness. Futility. So he starts the whole book off with vanity of vanities. All is Vanity. The worldly wisdom that he pursued never gave him what he longed for in his heart. The sad thing is we're still doing it today. Still running after it today. The wisdom of the world says if we get the right president, if we get the right set of rules, if I get the right set of circumstances, then I'll be happy. 
not without Christ you won't. See, the wisdom of the world says, I can do what I want. I am my own God. Happiness to me is being independent, answering to no one. The wisdom of the world says that I can sleep with whoever I want to. I can spend my money however I want to. No one can tell me how to use my time or how to best use my energy. Whatever pleases me, that's what will make me happy. Not without Christ, it won't. The wisdom of the world says, let's just love one another. And then it seeks to do that without ever even mentioning or speaking truth. How has lying ever done anyone any good? To speak truth according to the world's wisdom is often considered a form of hate. They're actually writing laws about that now. There may come a time where we can't say true things in a place even like this. You think, oh, that's not ever going to happen. This is the United States of America. It's happening in Canada. And it happened just a few years ago in, uh, I think it was Boston. I can't remember exactly the city. I should have looked it up. Sorry, but it's just coming to mind where pastors were expected to present their sermons to the, to the city to determine if they were speaking hate or not. Brothers and sisters, that's demonic. That's absolutely demonic. It is of the world. It is of the flesh. It is of the devil. This is the sort of wisdom, worldly wisdom, that is corrupt and it will not bear the fruit you long to have in your life. So pay attention. Hear James. Hear what he's saying. There's only one wisdom. There's only one wisdom. That wisdom is pure. It is not corrupt in any way. And it's characterized by certain characteristics. Determining whether whether wisdom is pure or corrupt is difficult at first because you hear some of the things that someone says. It's like, oh, that 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 sounds right. That that sounds good. That sounds wise. At first glance, it, it might be difficult, but but heavenly wisdom and earthly wisdom can can easily be identified by their characteristics. Worldly wisdom is characterized by selfish desires. In in 14 and 16 both, verses 14 and 16 both, James calls out two things, bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. Bitter jealousy is, is let me just say this so so that you get it. The word that's translated jealousy there could also be translated, could just as easily be translated, zeal or zealous. So God being zealous for something is not the same thing as me being jealous for something or something I'm zealous for might not even be a bad thing. But clearly, James is not speaking about something that's neutral in tone when he adds to it the word bitter. The idea here, I think, is is that you're desiring the things that aren't really yours and that God hasn't determined to give you. So you see someone who is prospering in some way you wish you could, and instead of celebrating for them, you envy them. In fact, you might even begin to think down, what did they do to deserve that? Look at all I do. 
See, worldly wisdom is characterized by selfish desires because it is about self. It is about self. If you're acting in bitter jealousy, James tells us, you have no reason to boast about your wisdom because that's not the wisdom that is from God. He also calls out selfish ambition. These are self-promoters who are always going about boasting of their own greatness, seeking to promote themselves, seeking to climb a ladder, if you will, always looking to be better in your eyes than they were the last time they saw you. Now, there's nothing wrong with ambition in the right light. We can be very ambitious for gospel mission. We, we, we can be very ambitious in spiritual ways. But selfish ambition has no place among God's people because it is not characteristic of his wisdom. It's about self. Heavenly wisdom, on the other hand, is characterized by a right attitude and a right practice. In verse 13, obviously James thinks this about the right practice, the right attitude, because he said, by his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of Wisdom, good conduct. He's expecting a a, a godly type of conduct. He's expecting a righteous lifestyle to come out of someone who says they're wise. But but then in verse 17, he gives us these three groups. And and you don't necessarily... So so this is is not exactly plain to you as you read the English Bible. It doesn't have to be. uh, but, But he gives us three groups. Let me show you how he groups them. So you look at verse 17 of chapter 3. He says, the wisdom from above is first pure. That's the primary trait. That's the nature of wisdom. Then, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And so, as I studied this, what I, what I learned was that it seems that James is grouping these in three different ways. And the reason I find this fascinating, I think, is because as a preacher, I'm always trying to find ways to get words to stick in people's minds. The first three, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, are alliterated in the Greek. They start with the same letter and they actually end with a very similar sound. They don't exactly rhyme, but they're very close. The second two, the second two words, full of mercy and good fruits, are connected to full of. So you've got full of mercy and full of good fruits. And the last two, impartial and in, not insincere, sincere, impartial and sincere, those two words actually rhyme. He purposefully took time to think through how do I help people remember these traits? He says, this is what heavenly wisdom, the character of heavenly wisdom looks like. Peaceable, gentle, open to reason. This isn't a person who's a pushover or some might consider a doormat. It's not a person who doesn't have, it's a person that doesn't have to win every argument, doesn't always have to be right. It's a person who loves peace and seeks to make peace. It's a person who's gentle. Not to the point of coddling someone. This doesn't mean that we're always going to agree or that we're going to de- de- diminish our own opinions or perspectives for the sake of... Uh, it, we're, we're not looking for a false peace. We're not just trying to get along. The idea is here we speak truth with a concern with how we speak truth and the good of the person that we're speaking truth to. We speak truth and we do it in an honorable way. By the way, you might just take note that the peaceable, gentle, open to reason 
is, exact, is the exact opposite of the person who acts with bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. They're not concerned about anyone else but themselves. Everything they do is for themselves. Everything they seek to accumulate is for themselves. The peaceable, gentle, open to reason person, that's a person who thinks about others. Who, who, if you remember, if you go back and you think about what James said in James chapter 2, he says, love, if you obey the royal law, if you fulfill the royal law, love your neighbor as yourself, you do well. He's saying you're doing good, you're doing right. This peaceable, gentle, open to reason, that's a person who's loving their neighbor as themselves. They're treating others as they'd like to be treated. Full of mercy and good fruits. That's the second category. James, he's already discussed mercy, so, so we can be reasonably sure that he's used it the same way as he did in chapter 2. That we're, not, that, we're, that we're not running over people, that we're not being inconsiderate of people, that we're seeing people in need and we're seeking to bring justice and mercy. Justice and relief of oppression. The idea is that we do this not because someone deserves it, but because our nature compels us to. You see, when you think about this, mercy and grace, they both kind of work together in this. Mercy and grace, neither one of them are given to people who deserve them. If you deserve something, you have earned something, that is not mercy, that is a wage. If you deserve something, if you have earned something, you can't get grace because someone is obligated to give it to you. Mercy and grace are given to people not because of who they are or what they've done, but because of who we are. And then it's full of mercy. I mean, this is overflowing with mercy. The idea is is that it's more than enough to go around. Every act is in mercy. It's considered, it's considering mercy. And then the good fruits, it's full of mercy and good fruits. The evidence of mercy, the evidence of your merciful spirit becomes obvious, not just to you, but to people who look on your life In his commentary on Proverbs, Derek Kinder says that wisdom makes good people nice. I wonder if people think of you as a good person or a good person who's nice. There's a difference. If we aren't truly applying heavenly wisdom to the circumstances of our lives, you're not going to be able to see mercy. You're not going to be able to see its fruit. You might seem very religious. You might seem very pious. You might seem very obedient to the letter of the law. But you won't be very nice to the people around you. In fact, when Jesus called the Pharisees on their obedience to the law, he called them out. He says, hey, you do all of these things. You even tithe on your mint, your cumin, and your dill. The spices in your spice rack you're tithing on. That's how serious you are about the obedience to the law. But you've neglected the weightier things of the law. Mercy. And then he proceeds to tell them that they're whitewashed tombs. That they're, that they're uh, uh, dead inside. Even though they look like they're all clean on the outside. See, wisdom, God's wisdom, heavenly wisdom will keep you from just being a good person. It'll help you be a Nice person. 
And the third group, the, the third grouping is two more words, impartial and sincere. Now, I'll just tell you, this, this is, I, I, every person I read from talked about this word impartial. It's translated a couple of different ways across the translations that you read from. The NASB has one thing, the ESV has one thing, and the NIV, I think the NIV and the ESV are together. It could just as easily be translated, instead of just impartial, it could be just as easily be translated as undivided or unwavering. The only place in the whole New Testament that this word is used, that's translated impartial, is right here. And so they didn't know exactly what to do, so they looked at the context and they made the best call that they could. It's either impartial or unwavering, and both of those ideas fit in the context of the letter. It seems, and this is where, where I would settle out at, it seems that James' point in impartiality and sincerity is this. This is, from, this is from Douglas Moo's commentary. The person characterized by wisdom from heaven will be stable, trustworthy, transparent. The kind of person consistently displaying the virtues of wisdom on whom one can rely for advice and counsel. I would sum it up like this. The person who is expressing uh, a heavenly wisdom is going to look like the one who gave them that wisdom. The person that is expressing heavenly wisdom will look like Jesus. Not physically, but in their actions, in their character. The, The only way your life will mirror His is by applying His wisdom in your daily life. We don't exercise partiality. We don't run around being rude to people just because they don't make as much money as somebody else. But as he calls us out in James chapter 1, we also don't waver in our faith. We don't, we don't run around, uh, get tossed to and fro by the storms of life. We are steadfast. We are a people who are, are, are not, not ever doubting, but that who are steadfast in our faith. We are not double-minded. This seems to be the idea, and that happens to be like the one who saves us and the one who gives us this wisdom. So wisdom, worldly wisdom, is characterized by selfish desires. Heavenly wisdom is characterized by a right attitude and a right practice. And now the fruits of wisdom. How do you know wisdom by, except by what it produces, what comes from it? Verse 16 tells us that worldly wisdom produces more chaos and sin. Disorder. James James points out two words in verse 16. He says, selfish ambition, bitter jealousy brings disorder and every vile practice. Disorder. Chaos. It's it's, it's chaotic. You're all over the place. There's no steadfastness. There's no stability. And every vile practice. It's evil activity. Now, this week, Amy was talking to me about her lesson in Kids Way at the go- and, and, and teaching from the Gospel Project. And they're learning from the judges. And she was talking about the, the passage that spoke, speaks about how in the days of the judges, you know, they didn't have a king. And so everyone did what was, according, what was right according to his own eyes. What did that produce in Israel? They would not submit to God. They submitted to what was right in their own eyes. Chaos. Every vile practice. 
And repeatedly through the book of Judges, you see God bringing judgment on Israel because they would not submit to him. They would not live according to his wisdom. They were living according to their own. If you weren't in the book of Judges and you didn't study from the Gospel Project this week, let me give you another illustration. This is where I want you to flip to Romans. Romans chapter 1, verse 24 through 32. It's a long passage. I didn't try to put it on the screen because it's such a long passage. I felt like it would be better if we went ahead and just flipped to it and read it, and I'll make some comments along the way. It begins this way. Therefore, now there's a lot of things that go before this that kind of lead to this, but this is where we're going to pick up. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, because they were given up and they were given over to worldly Worldly wisdom and, and doing things their own way because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. They worship the creature rather than the creator. Because of that, for this reason, in verse 26, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their wisdom exchanged natural, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature, nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passions for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents. Let me just call this out. You thought it wasn't a big deal to disobey your parents when you were growing up. Kids, listen. You see what he's laid that in next to? Murder. Slander, hater of God. Just saying. This all comes from worldly wisdom. From our simple, humanistic, worldly, demonic perspectives. Every ounce of this comes out of that perspective. And there's no hope of it without Christ. Disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, Ruthless? Does that sound like mercy? Does that sound like being nice? Does that sound like being a good person that's also a nice person? No. Though they knew God's righteous decree then that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Oh, it's not that big a deal if you're sleeping around. The Lord will forgive you for that. It's not that big a deal if, if you couldn't care less about whether your neighbor knows Jesus or not. The Lord will forgive you for that. It's not that big a deal if you spend all your money on yourself and you don't help the poor or give to God's mission. The Lord will forgive you for that. Absolutely. He will through faith in Jesus Christ. But faith converts you, it changes you, and it gives you new desires and new purposes and new passions. And it lets you have access to a new wisdom that says, there's no way I'd do that because it would never give me the life I desire. Heavenly wisdom, brothers and sisters, doesn't produce this kind of stuff. Worldly wisdom, it produces more sin 
more violent, more evil, more disorder, more chaos. It just, it, 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 it just continues to compound upon itself. I think I missed it, but there's a point where it says that they invent more things to do. I meant to call it out, but I, I, I was so excited. I was not excited. This is terrible. But listen, brothers and sisters. The wisdom of the world will leave us wanting in terrible ways. But heavenly wisdom produces more peace and righteousness. James ends this contrast in James chapter 3, verse 18. He caps this contrast off in this way. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Heavenly wisdom produces more peace and more righteousness. Heavenly wisdom produces a harvest worth reaping. There seems to be this cyclical idea. If you look at this verse, there seems to be a cyclical idea. A harvest of righteousness is sown. In peace by those who make peace. There's a cyclical idea of, of a person taking their righteous lifestyle, their right action, their right attitude, and sowing it in life, going about life, doing this thing, making peace. And this cyclical idea of, of this constant process where peace grows and righteousness grows as we grow in the wisdom and understanding that God gives us, as we grow in spiritual maturity, our righteousness and the peace we get to enjoy grows with it. Who doesn't want peace? Who doesn't want to know a stability and a certainty in life? I don't know anybody who doesn't. That's not even a Christian desire. That's just a basic human desire. Who doesn't want the peace that passes understanding that, 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 that you know no matter how bad it gets out of here, there's this certainty, this confidence, this, this hope that resides within us that enables us to face those without Coming undone and running into despair. Who doesn't want that kind of peace? The only way we get to that peace, the only way we get to that righteousness is through the practice of heavenly wisdom. And the only way we get to that heavenly wisdom, brothers and sisters, is through faith in Jesus Christ. That's why we started where we started. James calls us to this wisdom and he shows us this wisdom. He shows us what it is and he shows us what it isn't. How are you going to get it? You're not just going to drum it up. You can't look at the grocery store aisle and all the magazines that are listed there. Because this wisdom is pure. This wisdom comes from God. So how do you get it? First, trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. The gospel that he came to provide, that he lived a perfect life. He died a sacrificial death. He rose, he rose victoriously on the third day and he promised to return and take us to be with him forever and ever. Trust him in that. And second, as James says in James chapter 1 verse 5, if you've not been practicing this wisdom, if you see you're lacking this wisdom, you ask God in faith. The one who you've trusted for salvation, ask him in that same faith, trusting that he'll give it to you. And his promise is, he will. You want this wisdom? Trust Jesus. And then ask God for it. Let's pray.